MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, May 24th, 2021. Today, we should learn Merrick Garland's decision on the release of the Bill Barr OLC memo. Maricopa County tells the Arizona Senate to preserve documents for evidence in the Cyber Ninja audit because of a pending lawsuit. Trump flack Jason Miller is ordered to pay $42,000 in legal fees after a court dismisses his defamation case. Rick Santorum is fired from CNN for his racist comments. And Ivanka Trump pretended not to know who Alan Weisselberg was during her deposition. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. So sorry to the patrons for I missed the happy hour last Friday. There were a bunch of personal emergencies going on, but I will be there. This Friday for our, that's the 28th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern, right? For our network launch, right? Our new MSW Media Network launch. So awesome. Are you going to be there, Dana? You're going to be there, right? I will. I will be there. Okay. You have my word. So we're going to, I'm going to pop in and visit as well. I'm just super proud of you. I'm excited for the network and yeah, let's celebrate this. Cool. Because I'm going to be flying back to Arizona on Friday. And I should have plenty of time to get to my hotel. But if I'm a couple minutes late, Dana, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can handle it. It's going to be awesome. I'll hold down the fort for you. You bet. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going back to visit my mom again. So that'll be this weekend. And uh, I'm excited about that. I, I get to see my mom again. She's doing well. Thanks to everyone for asking. What else is happening? Later on in the show, I'm going to be talking to Frank Figluzzi. His show, The Bureau, debuts tomorrow, which is going to be amazing. So check that out. He and I are going to talk about all the things that are sort of on hold right now. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. So I look forward to that. We do have a lot of news to get to. So let's jump in. Let's hit the hot note. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today is that Maricopa County officials have directed the Arizona Senate and the auditors it hired to review the county's 2020 election count to preserve documents for a possible lawsuit. That's the cyber ninjas, right? And the county made the demand in a letter after the auditors refused to back down from their claim that the county destroyed evidence by deleting the entire election database. The GOP-controlled Board of Supervisors and Republican recorder Stephen Richer, one of the top election officials, he was like, that didn't happen. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> it's still there, you know. <laughs> they always take it one step too far. They're like, you know, there was fraudulent votes and then they end up with you 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 just you destroy the entire database and they're like, "Hold the phone." <laughs> and now the whole, you know, Republican Board of Supervisors is they're like, "Enough." County officials earlier this week said they might consider filing a defamation lawsuit if Senate President Karen Fan and the auditors don't retract the allegations that the files were deleted, quote, because of the wrongful accusations that the county destroyed evidence. The county or its elected officials and officers may now be subject to or have legal claims. That's the county's chief litigation attorney, Tom Liddy, writing in a letter to Senate President Karen Fan, And that's the Republican from Prescott, who we keep bringing up in this over and over again. She's the one that the Department of Justice wrote to and said, hang on a minute. You know, and everybody's like, stop your craziness. <laughs> I will have more on the audit later in the show, including how the cyber ninjas have now trashed Dominion voting machines. They have to have new ones. They have to buy new ones now, the county. 
And we're doing an inside look at the audit by someone appointed to observe the recount by Katie Hobbs, who's the Secretary of State there in Arizona. So a lot more coming up on that audit and the cyber ninjas a little bit later in the show. All right. And this next story could not have happened to a better person. (laughs) In fact, it couldn't have happened to a worse person. A U.S. District Court judge in Florida has ordered Jason Miller, a spokesperson, as we know, for the former guy, to pay Geo Media $42,000 in legal expenses. This comes after a federal appeals court rejected his second his second $100 million defamation suit against Geo. That's the parent company of Gizmodo, Jezebel, and other websites. Now, a federal judge tossed Miller's original lawsuit in 2019, finding that the now defunct website Splinter had accurately, and I want you to hear this sentence, had accurately reported a 2018 viral story titled, Court Docs Allege Ex-Trump Staffer Drugged Woman He Got Pregnant With An Abortion Pill. He is such a piece of shit. Mm. You know, that's the guy that won't pay his child support. That's him. Okay. Yeah. Now, which the uh, former guy spokesperson claimed, Miller claimed, had cost him his contract as a paid political commentator for CNN. (laughs) Man, I listen to CNN. And we'll get to the shade and Friday later in the show. But man, they really pick some winners. Uh, Miller had argued in a second attempt that those court documents were out of bounds. But last month, a panel of judges on the 11th Circuit ruled that they were protected under New York fair reporting privilege and upheld the 2019 decision. That's $42,000, Mr. Miller. Pay it up. Yeah. So uh, if I were them, I wouldn't expect to get any money. Um, Oh, no. He he hasn't paid his child support in forever. uh, So I don't think (laughs) you're going to see a dime of it. But hey, the award is there. Drugged her with an abortion pill. Yeah, that's the abortion smoothie story that oh man that went out. Uh, yeah, only the best, right? Only the best. Now, I haven't seen what he's been up to on Twitter because he blocked me, and I'm so sad about it, Dana. I'm blocked on I Twitter. I can tell. I can see it in your face. Yeah, <laughs> him and Sebastian Gorka blocked me a while ago, and it's just, I'm, I'm, it pains me. No, it's actually... Those feel like the same person. Like we both have the same goatee, right? Like... <laughs> Oh, tell me this. Give me this. Shoot this next story right into my veins, because this makes me laugh really Mm. hard. And the first two letters of her name are IV. So it works to go directly (laughs) into your veins. Ivanka Trump appeared confused during a deposition about the role of longtime top Trump organization executive CFO, who's currently the subject of a criminal investigation by the New York Attorney General's office. That would be Alan Weisselberg. Who? Again. (laughs) I don't even know what you're talking about. But it's, I think it was something. So he's the CFO, worked for Donald Trump and his father for decades, since 1973. Ivanka Trump has worked at the same company as an executive vice president since 2005. <laughs> Who is Alan Weisselberg? Ivanka Trump was asked in the deposition in December. This is the District of Columbia Attorney General's office. This isn't the New York Attorney General. This isn't the Manhattan DA. This is a different <laughs> deposition. For the Trump children, this is the D.C. Attorney General's office as part of its lawsuit alleging the misuse of inaugural funds. Remember the inaugural investigation? Mm-hmm. Millions. So who is Alan Weisselberg? And she goes, well, he is the I'd have to see what his his um, I don't know his exact title, but he's an executive at the company. She responded, according to a transcript <laughs> released earlier this year. The poor stenographer. <laughs> The D.C. Attorney General sued the Trump Organization and the Presidential Inaugural Committee last year, alleging they misused more than a million dollars raised by the nonprofit by grossly overpaying for the use of event space at the Trump Hotel in Washington for the 2017 inauguration. 
This is, you know, Stephanie Winston Walkoff, ex-friend of former First Lady Melania, claims that Weisselberg's hands were all over the record-breaking $107 million collected and spent by the inaugural committee. Ivanka Trump was also unable to recollect in her deposition what role Weisselberg played in the inaugural. (laughs) Hmm. That's it. She didn't even know who. That's a different investigation, like I said, than the one being conducted. (laughs) The the many others, I should say, being conducted in Manhattan and the New York Attorney General's office. And like I said, I'll be speaking a bit later with Frank Fogluzzi about those investigations. Uh, But finally, I've saved this for you, Dana. It's time for some schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Take it away, Dana. Thank you, my dear friend. A CNN spokesperson said Saturday that the network has parted ways with Rick Santorum, the former U.S. senator and conservative commentator who was the subject of widespread condemnation. Condom, you know, it's Santorum and condom. They're just a, whatever. It's the root word. Condemnation for recent remarks he made about Native Americans. Oh, he's such a swarmy piece of garbage. In April, and he gave a speech to a conservative youth group. And I, I could not, I, I spread this far and wide on Twitter. Santorum spoke about the religious values of European settlers in the United States and said, and I quote, we bird a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, he said, but candidly that, I mean, there's not much Native American culture in American culture. I'm like, that's because you son of a bitch. I just can't. I can't. can't. When the video of the speech surfaced on YouTube, there were calls for Santorum to be fired from CNN immediately. Yeah, I put that out. I was like, why is he even still? Get him off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Native American Journalists Association also spoke out against CNN as a whole. The Huff Post, which first reported the news, said Santorum's contract was, quote, terminated. Oh, Santorum, I'm sorry you couldn't carry your contract to term uh, and quoted a source who said the Cuomo primetime interview was not well received inside the network. You think? Yeah, because then he went on Cuomo to try to apologize, but he never apologized. He was he was just like, well, you know, that's what I said. And those are things. Uh, yeah. And and then and Cuomo took him to task. He's like, what the fuck? It was just it was hmm. one of my favorite jokes is my Centaurum joke. He actually gave a speech before he dropped out of the presidential race. And he was like, I'd like to thank the men and women who signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> And I was like, um, Rick, those were men in wigs, like drag queens signed the Declaration of Independence, you jackass. He is just such a terrible, terrible piece of shit. And I'm surprised it took this long for CNN to act. I'm glad they did, but it should have been immediate and swift. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't have taken weeks like it did. No, especially when they got rid of Kathy for what her mask with ketchup. And now I just I know I can't. I can't. Uh, And today is the day, as you know, we learn whether Merrick Garland will release the Bill Barr Office of Legal Counsel memo written post hoc to justify the Department of Justice under Barr not prosecuting Trump for obstruction of justice. And we'll have those findings for you on tomorrow's Daily Beans unless he asks for another continuance, uh, which would be weird because I feel like he would have asked for two weeks if he needed two weeks. So he only had a week and that's today. And I'll let you know. And we'll be right back with more news right after this. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Thanks for supporting the Daily Beans podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Titan. Folks, for far too long, Wall Street has neglected the average investor, giving out the same old generic advice like buy index funds. Meanwhile, for the ultra wealthy, they get access to premium investment strategies and white glove service. That divide didn't sit well with Titan, so they built a premier investment firm, but for everyone. Thanks to Titan, now everyday investors can have their capital invested like a world-class investment firm all through the Titan mobile app. 
Titan's goal is to give you access to the best investment experience in the world, but without the high minimums, lockups, or performance fees. Their in-house investment team invests your capital using their award-winning strategies and delivers daily research updates via the Titan app. It's like having an elite investment manager in your pocket. Titan manages hundreds of millions of dollars for 25,000 clients and counting and was named the 2020 Top Investment App of the Year by U.S. News. To get started, just download the Titan app, start investing with Titan today, and get three months with zero fees. Visit titanvest.com slash dailybeans. That's three months with zero fees at titanvest.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. So Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who is awesome, said Thursday that voting machines, the ones that Republicans turned over to the cyber ninjas as part of their audit, quote unquote, are no longer safe for use in future elections. In a letter sent to Maricopa County officials and shared with NBC, Hobbs, who is a Democrat, cited security concerns about losing the chain of custody over the equipment when it was handed over to the auditors and urged the county to get new machines. If it does not, her office would consider decertifying the equipment involved in the audit. That would remove the machines from service. I hope she does. State Senate Republicans subpoenaed nearly 400 of Maricopa County's election machines, along with ballots cast by voters in the November election to facilitate this ridiculous audit of the election results. The GOP hired private firms led by the Florida-based cybersecurity company Cyber Ninjas, as we know. Quote, I have grave concerns regarding the security and integrity of these machines, given the chain of custody, a critical security tenant that has been compromised, and election officials do not know what was done to the machines while under Cyber Ninjas' control. That's from Hobbs's letter in the, county, uh, in the county's mostly Republican Board of Supervisors, she wrote to them which oversees the county elections. Now, we know the Republican Board of Supervisors isn't happy with Cyber Ninjas right now because of their big lie that they said that their entire database was deleted. In Arizona, the Secretary of State can decertify machinery in a consultation with the State Elections Equipment Certification Committee, which is a three-person panel appointed by Hobbs. And Jennifer Morrell has written a perspective piece in the Washington Post about her time as an observer in that fraudulent audit appointed by Katie Hobbs. And uh, this is a really, really, I I highly recommend you read this article. It's incredible. When Arizona Secretary of State asked me if I would serve as an observer in the Arizona Senate's audit of Maricopa County's ballots, I expected to see some unusual things. This is how she begins the article. She continues, so I figured it would be unconventional, but it was so much worse than that. In more than a decade of working on elections, audits, and recounts across the country, I have never seen one this mismanaged. She arrived May 4th. She had her ID checked three times, as well as the letter appointing her from the Secretary of State, appointing her as an observer. She had to surrender her phone, her laptop, her smartwatch when she walked in, and she was given a pink shirt to wear so everyone could know it was, you know, she was a bad guy, I guess. And she was given a legal pad, a yellow legal pad, and a red pen to take notes. She was followed by audit observers as she worked and was asked multiple times to have her pen tested to make sure it had red ink in it. And she described the atmosphere as very tense. And I'm quoting her now. I was stunned to see spinning conveyor wheels whizzing hundreds of ballots past counters who struggled to mark on a tally sheet each voter's selection for the president and Senate races. They had only a few seconds to record what they saw. Occasionally, I saw a counter look up, realize they missed a ballot, and then grab the wheel to stop it. This process sets them up to make so many mistakes. I kept thinking, humans are terrible at tedious, repetitive tasks. We're especially bad at counting. That's why, in all the other audits I've seen, 
Bipartisan teams follow a tallying method that allows for careful review and inspection of each ballot, followed by a verification process. I'd never seen an audit use contraptions to speed things up. You remember, if you've seen these, you know, these highlights, they had them on Lazy Susans and they were spinning them around. She goes on to say, speed doesn't necessarily pose a problem if the audit has a process for catching and correcting mistakes, but this one didn't. Each table had three volunteers tallying the ballots and their tally sheets were considered done as long as two of the three tallies matched and the third was off by no more than two ballots. The volunteers recounted only if their tally sheets had three or more errors, a threshold they stuck to no matter how many ballots a stack contained, whether 50 or 100. This allowed for a shocking amount of error. Some table managers told the counters to recount when there were too many errors. Other table managers just instructed the counters to fix their math mistakes. At no point did anyone track how many ballots they were processing at their station to ensure that no one got added or lost during the handling. So they didn't even know how many total ballots they were counting. I also observed other auditors working on a forensic paper audit, flagging ballots as suspicious for a variety of reasons. One was presidential selection. If someone thought their voter's choice looked as though it had been marked by a machine, they flagged it as anomalous. Another was, quote, missing security markers. It's virtually impossible for a ballot to be missing its security marker since voting equipment is designed to reject ballots without them. The third was paper weight, the weight of the paper. The forensic tables had scales for weighing the ballots, though I never saw anyone use them. And of course, the texture, because volunteers were scrutinizing ballots for, of all things, bamboo fibers. Only later, after the shift, did I learn that this was connected to groundless speculation that fake ballots had been flown in from South Korea. The fourth reason was folding. The auditors reasoned that only absentee voters would fold their ballots and in-person Election Day voters would take a flat ballot, mark it to the booth, and submit it perfectly pristine. I had to laugh. In my experience, voters will fold ballots every which way, no matter where they vote or what the ballot instructions tell them to do. Chalk it up to privacy concerns or individual quirks, but no experienced election official would ever call that suspicious. At one point, I overheard some volunteers excitedly discussing a stain on a ballot. It looks like a Cheeto finger, one said. Quote, like someone's touched it with cheese dust. That had to be suspicious, their teammate agreed. Why would someone come to the polls with cheese powder on their hands? But I've seen ballots stained with almost anything you can imagine, including coffee, grease, and yes, cheese powder. Again, when you have experience working with hundreds of thousands of ballots, you see some messes. That's evidence of humanity's idiosyncrasies, not foul play. Procedures should never change in the middle of an audit. And this is also very scary. She says here, procedures changed in the middle of the audit. And not just a couple of times, but almost daily. The training for volunteers also evolved. At first, they got no guidance about how to determine a voter's intent on a ballot. Only a week later, a week into it, did the auditors add a few slides to their training presentation, summarizing a few scenarios in which volunteers might run into this issue. When I asked my designated auditor about these shifting guidelines, he called it process improvement. What I saw in Arizona shook me. If the process wraps up and Cyber Ninjas put together some kind of report, that report will almost certainly claim that there were issues with Maricopa County's ballots. After all, Cyber Ninja's chief executive, Doug Logan, has publicly voiced his wild conjecture about the 2020 election. But the real problem is the so-called audit itself. This is not an audit, and I don't see how this can have any good outcome. So we'll now uh, probably expect a lawsuit in which I'm sure the Department of Justice will uh, support and back up. We'll keep you posted. <sighs> but right now, um, it's just an absolute shit show. It's the crazy times carnival. 
I have to say. And I think the taxpayers are probably going to have to pay for these new voting machines, as well as the audit and any cleanup that has to be done. Anyway, we'll be right back with Frank Fuglusi. We have a lot to discuss. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this segment is brought to you by Monk Pack, making snacks that taste amazing but have close to no sugar. I am a snacker, but I'm also trying to live a keto lifestyle. That makes it very difficult, but that is why I'm glad to have found Monk Pack. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories, and they're delicious. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and salty with a nice crunch from whole nuts and seeds, but they manage to be soft and chewy. And they come in delicious flavors like caramel sea salt, sea salt dark chocolate, and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite right now is the caramel sea salt. I love caramel. It's my favorite thing. It's so delicious. And they're packed with protein. They're filling and satisfying. They're perfect for a quick snack to indulge your sweet tooth without any guilt. And they have no artificial colors, no sugar alcohols, no trans fats, no soy. They're non-GMO and plant-based and gluten-free. I'm kind of obsessed with these bars and make sure they're always fully stocked with them. I signed up for a subscription, which makes it easy. It saves me 10% on every order and they ship them to me automatically. Getting these delicious treats that delivered to me on a regular basis has been a complete game changer in my effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident that it is backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to MonkPack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product. Then enter the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout and save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm joined by MSNBC national security analyst, author of the book, The FBI Way, and host of the new podcast, The Bureau, which debuts tomorrow morning. Please welcome Frank Figlusi. Frank, hello. AG, always a pleasure and exciting to do this on the eve of the podcast launch. I can't wait to hear it out officially in the world. I think it's going to be amazing. And I want to talk about that in a little bit. But I also wanted to bring you on today because yesterday I just released a new episode of the Mueller She Wrote podcast and, and everything seems to be kind of in a holding pattern right now. We're expecting sometime today, Monday, to see whether or not Merrick Garland is going to release that Bill Barr OL memo that was uh, ordered by Judge Jackson in that very beautiful opinion that she wrote a few weeks ago. We're also inching closer toward, and many officials are preparing for a potential indictment of a former president, which we've never seen in this country. And uh, of course, we're waiting on that uh, behind the closed doors McGahn testimony to see if there'll be any criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for the obstruction charges laid out in volume two of the Mueller report. So all these things sort of sizzling on the back burner. And I'm wondering, like, what are your thoughts? Are you feeling I'm feeling more positive than I have in the last several years about some accountability? Well, the past few months have gone a long way toward restoring my faith in the system. I am an institutionalist. I'm a system guy, 25 years inside the system. And I believe in it because I believe that that's what holds our democracy together. So I've told you before, I'm a professional cynic. That's People never paid me in the FBI to give them good news and to hope for the best. And after four years of the absolute worst, I am increasingly encouraged. I think I'm most encouraged by what the state of New York is doing and the the Manhattan District Attorney as well. And I think that's because I find it so ironic that the man who essentially almost destroyed our democracy on a federal national level might be held to account only by a municipality and a state. 
you know, I, I find some beauty in that. When I visit a lot of countries and talk to government officials, they can't understand our, you know, my God, you have 50 different systems and then you've got city police and city prosecutors. What a freaking mess. And I look at them and I go, you know what? Sometimes redundancy is good. Mm. And, and so <laughs> New York might do this in terms of a small sliver of accountability, right? As it pertains to their state, very encouraged by that. And then Merrick Garland, is just going literally gangbusters on trying to restore justice. Yeah. And we just found out recently that Jennifer Weisselberg, who is the daughter-in-law of Alan Weisselberg, told Aaron Burnett on Out Front this weekend that she believes, and she answered rather quickly, that Weisselberg is going to flip on Trump. And then then there are others who believe that Trump could actually throw his adult children under the bus. I mean, it's going to be, it's not going to be pretty however it gets done as uh, to to quote Roger Stone <laughs> I don't know how we win but it ain't going to be pretty but I think that that kind of applies in reverse now I, I'm really interested to see what adding a couple of attorneys to the Manhattan DA from the New York Attorney General's office does teaming up there they've already got Pomerantz down in Manhattan to help out they've hired that forensic auditing team to look at all the Mazar's documents I mean this doesn't seem to me like an office that's gearing down or shying away from bringing charges. It looks like the opposite to me. And I'm impressed with that because we've had so many letdowns over the past several years. Yeah, I, I think we're all very reticent to get excited about anything, but, but we should be encouraged. And I, I think I, we need to heed the words of Michael Cohen, who has said now publicly, he does think that Trump is quite capable of throwing his own kids under the bus. And I I wrote a column last week for MSNBC Daily where I talked about the legal dilemmas here facing the Trump kids, the Trump family. And that is very simply this. A lot of people, when they hear, hey, the organization is under criminal investigation, they go, well, you can't put an organization in prison, so not very exciting. Au contraire, absolutely, in white-collar corporate cases, it's quite possible for corporate officers and executives to go to prison. So number one. Number two, the second you learn there's a criminal inquiry against your company or organization, your interests as an executive or officer suddenly diverge from the interests of the organization. The organization exists to perpetuate itself. Its attorneys, its investigators, its auditors simply want to preserve assets and mitigate damage. Your interest as an employee is to stay out of prison. It's two different things. And in fact, your interest vis-a-vis the other employees in the company diverge also. And so we are going to see likely a finger pointing exercise. Don't be surprised if daddy, who's in charge of the organization, actually orders the organization to sustain itself and point to one of the kids. Don't be surprised if that happens. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, we know there's a long history there, especially with uh, Don Jr. not getting along well with his father. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Then we've got news today that Ivanka Trump acted like she didn't know who Weisselberg was, but that was in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office investigation when she was deposed last December. Different, whole different investigation by a completely different entity. So, I mean, these things seem to be mounting, and I'm wondering... Now, I guess the final step could possibly be whether or not the New York Attorney General's office and the Manhattan DA hand anything over to the Southern District of New York or to the Department of Justice. Because, I mean, if you're violating state tax law, federal tax law isn't far behind. So a couple of things. One is, again, I do think there's beauty in a state 
taking care of business because I'm sure that DOJ and Merrick Garland and, and ultimately President Biden are very sensitive to any perception that there's some political witch hunt going on on a national level, right? So there's beauty in New York taking care of business. But I will tell you, there are some things that I'm wondering whether the DA or the AG have their hands on that would really need to go federal. And one of those is money laundering. Mm. So there have been rumors, there have been books written, right? Entire books written on the theory that Trump Tower New York is essentially a money laundering operation for Russians. And perhaps who knows else? And that really is right square in the FBI's portfolio, right? International money, money laundering. Not to say New York couldn't take it on, but I would hope if they've got evidence of that, as they look through taxes, they apps for the organization, they absolutely could come across some evidence of that. They would want to turn that over to the Bureau. Yeah. And if, in fact, Trump was inflating assets or deflating assets, depending on what he was trying to accomplish or if the Trump organization was doing that, and the Mazar's documents had some sort of a, like a, a liability document saying, you know, hey, hey, Donald, sign this. We're going to we'll go ahead and file for example, this thing on Seven Springs Estates, but we advise against it because it violates these laws, state and federal, sign here. And, you know, that would directly tie him to knowledge of that particular thing. And, it, you know, if it's not just state, it's also federal. And so perhaps there's something like that as well. But we know that that Southern District of New York uh, investigation into individual one and Michael Cohen with the hush money payments was shuttered. It went dark and a federal judge had to come out and say, hey, shit or get off the pot. You got to either continue this investigation or close it. And they closed it under Bill Barr. Well, and Bill, and let's not forget, Bill Barr wanted that U.S. attorney gone mm -hmm. and he did go. And we still don't know all the details of why that guy had to go. But yeah, he needed to disappear. And you've hit on, on an obvious federal nexus, which is, look, if this is all about taxes, we all know we pay more taxes federally than we do to the state of, to our, the state we live in. And yes, indeed, the, the tax case is there. Former Secretary of Treasury Mnuchin wanted no part of turning over federal taxes of Trump. Now there's clear access and, and the state case could give the feds reason to grab those federal taxes and go to town. Yeah, you're right. It's just going to be dependent on how, uh, how much appetite Merrick Garland and the Biden administration have uh, for going after these things. That's including the obstruction of justice charges. Although, you know, I mean, I can't imagine if super conservative Bob Mueller was testifying that, yes, you can indict a president after he leaves office for obstruction of justice that Merrick Garland wouldn't um, follow in those same footsteps or have those same ideals. But, you know, we'll know uh, at least within the next year, because that's when the statute of limitations expires on, on those obstruction charges. So we'll we'll find out. It's going to be interesting. And I think a big test is coming out today, whether or not we see that uh, Office of Legal Counsel Bill Barr memo released from the DOJ. We'll see how that goes. Now, before I let you go, this first episode of the Bureau Tell us a little bit about it. It comes out tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And I'm excited that, you know, you and I have been able to work on this together. And here's here's the deal. The FBI never before has permitted an outsider, right? I, I retired years ago, an outsider to every week interview active duty FBI personnel about their cases, their mission, their lives. And so what I've decided to do is go deep inside corners of the Bureau that most Americans have wondered about, maybe even not ever heard about, and get it straight from the active duty employees. So we're going to start with an episode in the behavioral analysis 
program, right? You know how popular the TV shows are these days on profilers and criminal minds and the show Mind Hunter on Netflix. Well, we're going to do it for real. We're going to go inside and talk to the real people who do that for a living. We'll get into serial killers. We've got episodes on the lab and you know we've got a phd scientist who's going to tell us amazing things about where dna is has come exciting things about how quickly they can match a dna sample to a suspect we'll talk about the fbi overseas most americans have no idea there are more fbi offices abroad than there are inside the united states and we're going to talk to somebody who leads that overseas effort for the fbi We've got more serial killer discussions. I'm learning things that I never knew before that have happened since I've left the Bureau. We'll go inside evidence response teams. I know people like to watch their CSI, you know, crime scene shows. We're going to talk to the guys and gals who do it for real. Yeah, with real cases. And it's it's truly amazing. I've heard some of these interviews. I've heard some of these clips and, you know, working together with you on this project it has really been uh, eye-opening about about everything that goes on. And you, just like you said, with the number of overseas offices, I had no idea. So it's truly a look that we've never before had inside the Bureau. Additionally, I encourage everybody to buy your book, The Bureau, which is truly, it, it applies. It's not just a book about the FBI. Do you know what I mean? It's it, 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 You can apply it to virtually anything. And that code of conduct, the reservoir of trust, that entire, you know, that and I think that your show is going to go, the, the Bureau is going to go really far in helping rebuild that trust that, you know, in the FBI that, that we all had prior to the Trump administration. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I know the FBI had a, a typical bureaucracy, had great trepidation about, you know, cooperating on this and giving up their folks every week for interviews and on sensitive topics. But the buzz inside the FBI right now, after folks have been through the sessions um, with us and are talking to us, is that now people are lining up for a second season. They, they're like, hey, we want to talk about what we do there. And you hit it right. You hit it right in the head. They have suffered for the last four years under uh, what I call bureau bashing by by the Trump administration. This is their chance to say to the public, look, let's let you judge what the FBI does for a living. And you tell us what you think. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Comes out tomorrow morning. It's called The Bureau. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, The FBI Way, you can get it wherever you get books. And uh, tell everybody where to follow you on social media so we keep an eye on the new episodes and what's coming up. Yeah, check out my website, frankfiglucy.com, where you'll be able to access in real time each of the podcast episodes. You get all my clips from TV, MSNBC. You get my columns. You get a feed from my MSNBC daily columns. And then follow me on Twitter at Frank Figluzzi one. And I'll see you there. All right. Thanks so much. It's been great talking to you, Frank. I appreciate your time. Thanks, AG. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And the following segment of The Beans is brought to you by Policy Genius. Summer is quickly approaching. We should enjoy it without a looming to-do list. And Policy Genius makes it easy to get life insurance done. And done right, by the way. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes with over a dozen top insurers all in one place. You can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. That is up to $1,300 per year or more that you could save. $1,300 a year. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. So you can trust them to help you navigate every step. There's no pressure. And that kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Getting started is easy. Just head over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies and they never add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. 
And today's episode is also brought to you by First Leaf, a better way to discover wine at a fraction of the price you'll find in the store. First Leaf is a fully customizable wine club that sends curated boxes of wine that are perfect for you. And they have more award-winning wine than anyone else. With First Leaf, there's no guesswork, no misguided recommendations from an employee who doesn't know you and what you like, and no frustration at all on your part. It's so simple. Each wine shipment is entirely customized to your unique palate and preferences. And unlike big box wine memberships, First Leaf uses a -a one-of-a-kind algorithm and your feedback to curate future wine recommendations. The more wines you taste and the more wines you review, the better the shipments get. I love their system of rating different wines. Uh, I give specific preferences based on personal taste, and each shipment is improved more as I dial in exactly what I like. And the great thing about First Leaf is it works directly with the world's best winemakers, not only to find the best wines available, but to pass the savings on to you directly. You can save up to 60% off retail. I love the convenience of First Leaf, and it's exciting doing the unboxings and then tasting the different amazing varietals. I like how flexible their subscription system is. It's up to me what wines I get, when I get them, and how often. I usually prefer dry reds, but sometimes I'll get a mix for variety. I've got a new favorite right now, but I love trying new wines for the first time too, and so will you. I think you will love what First Leaf does, and I highly recommend trying them out. So save time and money and stress with First Leaf, the wine club designed with you in mind. Join today, you'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. That is six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Again, that's tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Ah, Monday's good news is always the best good news, I feel. It is. I like starting my week like this. Yeah, everyone's had a, a weekend full of good news and they share it all with us. And it's a nice palate cleanser on a Monday at the end of this show. And so we're actually going to kick this off with a correction. And this is from Anonymous, pronoun she, they. Love everything about you since the kitchen days. Please refrain from anglicizing Alejandro Mayorkas' name to Alex. At my job, we work with him quite a lot. And with those who are close enough to shorten his name, he goes by Ale. Please consider using Alejandro or Ale rather than Alex in the future. Also, maybe, maybe consider telling someone to go shit themselves instead of go fuck yourself. (laughs) It's a brilliant ring to it, no? Love you to the moon and back. I didn't know that. Wonderful. I will stop calling him Alex and refer to him as Alejandro. I appreciate the uh, the information. I didn't know. Thank you so much. I cannot promise that I will not tell people to go fuck themselves, but I will definitely try. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to comment on that one, but you know, I'll 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 think about it. Go shit yourself. You know what? Go shit yourself. That's go actually yourself. you know. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that from Happy Gilmore's like I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast, and he's just like you eat pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> that was a great line. Uh, this next one's from anonymous pronoun she her and he him. Greetings, Daily Beans team. Thanks for all the great episodes. It is a bizarre world, and you all help us make sense of the craziness. And if sense is impossible, we at least can laugh at or about it. Good news. Our granddaughter just got her first Fauci ouchie last Thursday. She's super scared of needles, but she wanted the vaccine so badly that she fought through her fears and got it done. We're looking forward to a great summer with all of our vaccinated friends. Cheers and cheers to her. I know other youngins that do have fears of the needles. In fact, I have a 45-year-old friend that is terrified of them, and I was super proud when she got her first shot too. Well, congratulations. That's going to be awesome. It's going to make for a great summer for you guys. So 
Yay. Next up, anonymous, pronoun she and her. My good news. I just got a free beer with my vaccination card. (laughs) From now until the end of the month of May, participating restaurants in my home state of Connecticut are offering free drink options with the purchase of food if you show your vaccine card. This is a partnership between the state and the restaurant association called the CT Drinks on Us. Hashtag CT Drinks on Us initiative. It's a great way to celebrate getting vaccinated while helping out our local restaurants that have suffered so badly during COVID. I got to hang out with a friend I hadn't seen since the pandemic started, and I have plans to meet up and get free drinks with a few more long lost friends before this sweet ass promotion ends on May 31st. (laughs) (laughs) P.S. Sorry I'm able to pay the pet taxes. We have no pets in our house, but I can assure you we are being aggressively badgered into getting one by our two boys aged five and three. I can imagine they're dying for a puppy. Oh my goodness. I'm dying for a puppy. I did scan the good news and I'm really excited about announcing this next one. This is from Susan, pronouns she and her. Hello, AG and DG. I've been a daily listener since the first MSW days. After months of planning, a good friend of mine has finally been able to accomplish her goal of starting a nonprofit and opening a safe house for members of the LGBTQ plus community in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Now we have a shortage of transitional recovering housing here, and that rings especially true for LGBTQ plus community. You can find them at heartmindconnect.org. In case any of the listeners in Colorado would like to learn more, I will also attach this flyer. Thank you so much, Susan, to you and your friend, your friend. I know you may just be delivering this information for her, but I can't thank you enough. It's so important. Our youth need a safe place to go. And this is, this is wonderful. Awesome. Heartmindconnect.org and beautiful name too. That's so Congratulations. Starting a 501c3 isn't easy. That's a lot of work. And so thank you so much for putting that in, putting the time in and the effort in. And it is transitional supportive recovery housing for our LGBTQ plus community, inclusive, accepting respite and customized recovery wellness services in a lovely setting in Lakewood, Colorado. Car certified. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you for doing that. Next up from Aaron, pronouns he, they. Shortly after the pandemic started last year, my wife and I fostered a pregnant cat. She gave birth to three lovely little beans in our bathroom, and we ended up foster failing with two of them. Oh my goodness. Tabitha Orange and Simpkin Ginger. The little rascals turned one year old this week, and it's been a joy to be able to spend so much time with them at home while they grow up. They've also helped immensely with my mental health during this challenging time. Simpkin always seemed to know when I was having a bad day and demands to be cuddled. Pod Pet Tax is a pick of the moment we knew we had to keep Tabitha and my wife's idea of celebrating their birthday fancy clothes. Thank you for your tireless work in making the show. It has made sense of an endless barrage of headlines with humor and compassion. Oh, my. Look God. at these two pictures. I can't look at the second one with that button down orange plaid shirt. That is amazing. Oh, and look at this baby in the dress. That's a beautiful dress. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the third one. Just drunk on oh, food. There's more. Oh, <laughs> food coma. Pass the fuck In out. In a food plate. That's amazing. Oh, oh, thank you for the smiles. This next one's from Joe, pronoun she and her. Hello, all. This is kind of nothing, but I'm getting intimidated by scrolling through my beans feed in Spotify. What was the fricker fracking episode with the kids finding the giant dildo story and the one with the vibrator in the backpack? I was just trying to tell my boyfriend the stories because he's kind of new to the beans. And these stories bring me tears of laughter. I should have downloaded it when I heard it. Any assistance is much appreciated. And meet my adoptive sister's new kitten, Cade. 
all claws and attention and no stop. And they're going to link the episode uh, that we're going to link that to the episode in the notes of this episode. And it was released just so everyone knows on January 5th, that'll help you find the episode and it is worth downloading. And this cat, something about mega plastics. (laughs) Oh my God. It was, Oh, look at this baby. I know. So sweet. Oh, look at the little murder mittens, those tiny little claws. They hurt so much. Mm. So cute. All right, next up from Jason, pronouns he and him. Hi, beans, queens. I love everything you do. Just a follow-up about Eurovision. I wrote in last week to say I scored tickets. Rotterdam put on a spectacular event. The shows were amazing, and I can't shut up about them. It was just what the world needed after such an abysmal 15 months, and it was a little glimpse of how fun life used to be. Just wanted you to do yourselves the massive favor and scroll through the hashtag Eurovision on Twitter and check out the amazing Italian group that won. You are welcome. Extra points for Ukraine, who had me dancing in the aisle and almost falling down the stairs several times in lieu of pod pet tax, attached as a teaser of Italy's post-win press conference. Amazing. <laughs> ah, look at that guy. Oh, my God. I love it. So from what I understand, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, I think this is one of the first times we got Eurovision, like, in the United States. Like, we were able to watch it. Like, people, all of my friends tuned into this thing. Like they obviously not in person, but, but there was virtually, I think, I think you could actually see this now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had never seen it before. I have, now I have to scroll. Oh my God. I didn't know where to watch it, um, but I'm going to have to look through the hashtag Eurovision. But I did see the Ukraine team's performance. Uh-huh. Oh man, it was so good. It was so good. You know, I want, I know it's not the Ukraine. I was talking about the Ukraine team. So Ukraine team's performance. I'm sorry if I, you know, I always do that. Anyway. Right. Um but really, really incredible. Everybody check out hashtag Eurovision yeah. and guests. Guess. AG, I can do this. I could end this good news segment with the limerick and I know how to read it, but I also know you find great joy in this. So I would like to hand this to you so you can have our first limerick for the good news block this week. Oh, it's got nine things in it that I love. Yes. Okay. It's from BB, pronoun she and her. This is our house limericist. <sighs> Here we go. Tomorrow, the new network's on. The start of a smart marathon. This moment reminds us intelligence binds us. We'll reach the cliffs by dawn. <laughs> Stop rhyming. I mean it. Anybody, Anybody want, want a, a peanut? peanut? <laughs> <laughs> we'll reach the cliffs by dawn. No mm. rhyme. I'm always just like, it's got to be one. It's one of the best movies. Anyways, I just wanted you to have that moment of joy. I could have done it. It was going to end, but I'm a giver. Thank you. I'm a giver. Thank you. I thank you so much. I still can't stop looking at this Eurovision Italy bottle of champagne. Uh, I'm, it's so funny that you're looking at the bottle of champagne because even though I'm a lesbian, that is a beautiful man. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. I'm glad that haircut's back, too. That's like every dude I dated in high school had that haircut. I'm glad it's back. <laughs> Big ups to Tyler. Just because I don't eat at the buffet doesn't mean I can't smell the food. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh my goodness uh any final thoughts before we uh end today no i think i should stop speaking for this episode everyone have a fabulous evening you can continue to speak as long as you want that is why we love to have you here dana i appreciate you so much and it's been a it's been a crazy weekend and i think this week is going to be even crazier we've got all sorts of things coming up with possible trump indictments and gates and rudy and uh, the bar memo i will see we'll see what happens the mcgann testimony i mean there's just so much like mm, 
little that they and I'm trying not to look at it as there's so much they could fuck up. Don't do that. I'm hoping. Don't do that. I'm hoping it's there's so much that could go right, but we'll yes. see. We'll see. And everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. <laughs> and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.